Empire. To trust your own process, you must be willing to remain present. Yeah, I, I spiraled into some some form of depression. So I uh, I had trouble getting up in the morning. I had difficulty falling asleep at night. I burst into tears a couple times in the middle of meetings when somebody would say something unrelated and some emotion would just overtake me. That's Scott O'Neill, CEO of Harris Blitzer Sports and Entertainment, owners of the NBA's Philadelphia 76ers and NHL's New Jersey Devils. He knows success on the court and ice doesn't mean well-being off of it. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein. Scott O'Neill is a new author of the book, Be Where Your Feet Are, a revealing look into the mindset of one of the most successful people in professional sports who has dealt with serious bouts of depression. We go there, and in this wide-ranging discussion, we get into everything else, a return to normalcy, how he perceives the booming NFT marketplace, and building successful modern teams. Our guest this week is Scott O'Neill, who's the Chief Executive Officer of Harris Blitzer Sports and Entertainment, parent company of the Philadelphia 76ers, the New Jersey Devils, and many, many other sports properties that we don't have time to list, but maybe we'll get to through this conversation. And Scott, as well, is a new author of Be Where Your Feet Are. Thank you so much for joining us, Scott. Bram, I'm thrilled. Uh, Love the podcast. Love what you do. Uh, My good friend, Rugger. Angela was on your podcast. Yeah. One of my all time favorite people. So she's doing some incredible work up in Boston. Yeah, she is doing some great work. Uh, I'll get into your book in a moment. Um, I want to first just thank you in general for doing this in the middle of the NBA playoffs. Your team is alive and well, the Philadelphia 76ers. So um, it's been a little bit of a long time coming, but I'm just curious as you kind of watch your team progress here, what that's like from someone in your position. You know, to, to, to go back and walk back eight years when I walked in the door, and it was an organization that hadn't won 50 games um, since Iverson's last season, or uh, actually t- 2002. So, um, you know, this was a team that was wallowing. Uh, we just made a really rough trade for Andrew Bynum. We had two first-round picks over the next five years, and we were going, going nowhere fast. And so to go from that point, then to go through the process where you win 10 games in a season, to being the number one seed in the East, to having the fans coming out of COVID revved up, raring to go and get the green light to have them in an arena and hear that roar of the crowd. And yeah. uh, it's been special. I mean, it sends chills up my spine to think about how far we've come in such a short short time. And and then to, to think that you, you kind of merge that with the excitement of coming out of our isolation into this community. And that's, you know, for, for those of us that have been in this business a long time, you know, that's the value we provide. That's who we are. I mean, sports is about connection and bringing communities together and celebration and, and hugging perfect strangers and high-fiving and screaming and dancing and shouting. And, you know, and to see that all come together, it's been, it's been humbling. It's yeah. amazing. I um so as a unapologetic Washington sports fan, um, I'm with you. I'm just happy everything's back. But that was not the nicest way you treated my team in this coming out party that was Look, short I, I and quick good series yeah no i'd rather it be shorter but uh, it's a good series um 
Beal is one of my all-time favorite players to watch. Yeah, um, he great. could score at so many levels, and um, and that team competed hard. I thought they, they did well. I mean, they were just we were just overmatched. I mean, I've been overmatched before in series, and yep. and and we overmatched you. I mean, we just bigger, stronger, faster, um, and, and fortunately better at least for that time period. I was just saying, I, I just you know we have you know between Ben and Tobias and Joel, you know you've got three max, legit max players on a team and, and, um, and they've got some, they've got some room to grow. I, I, I love the wizards. I, I love the franchise. Uh, Ted Leonson is a friend, Zach Leonson is a friend, Jim Van Stone's a good buddy. So, uh, they're good people down there. Um, and I, I hope they build around Beal because he is special. So let's talk about the reopening for a moment as um, fans are now coming back and in some cases to full capacity in many different sports. And hopefully by the fall we'll be open, open, assuming that nothing else is coming down the pike health wise in this country. Um, how have you thought through the last year and what are some of the lessons that you learned that you are putting into place as the doors are reopening again? Well, we learned quite a bit. We learned a lot about ourselves, for sure, um, as we tried to figure out how to work with our kids and our pets and from our bathrobes to our bathrooms to our kitchens to our laundry rooms, trying to find some quiet space. So I think that was the biggest learning is that we can actually work remotely and effectively. Um, and then, you know, I spent a lot of time on, on mental health and well-being and, and learned a ton and read a ton and, and, uh, and hopefully helped our organization come out of this we spent a lot of time on mind body soul and sleep and yeah. gratitude and being where your feet are put your phone down your head up so we, we we spent you know and then for an organization you know it's, it's something we've talked about for a long time and and certainly have increased resources towards in the last three years but you know only one percent of Sixers fans will ever attend a game live and and, and I think if you look at the resources that organizations um place and put towards the in arena experience it's wonderful and i'm not advocating to take them away i'm I'm just wondering if we should all as an industry be spending more time on that second screen and third screen experience Mm. that we should be creating content in multiple languages that we should be building staff that represent the world because that that's who our fans are so i think i think you know we we put that into overdrive we're very fortunate we um we didn't have liquidity problems like some teams had so we were able to keep our whole staff on. So we kept the sales and marketing machine together. And this is an organization, you know, since I got here, we've grown the value of the organization over six times. Um, and I didn't want to lose that machine, that engine. And so, and, you know, as we look forward to 21, 22, it actually, our numbers are actually better than they were pre COVID 19, 20. So, 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 so far, so good. So I learned one thing is when you have a, what, what you argue is the best sales and marketing machine in place in the world, keep it together. Uh, number two, uh, make sure you have proper liquidity for a rainy day. Um, number three, um, if you have some downtime and you don't have to entertain 20,000 fans into your living room every every other night, uh, use that time wisely and put your resources towards building a D2C platform and, and creating some of the greatest content in the world. Um, can you take me through engagement over the last 12 to 16 months? How did you go about thinking through staying engaged with your fan bases after as the sports shut down, as they reopened without crowds, and and now where we are, where the doors are open again. Yeah, Brown. I I will say like engagement is definitely not our our challenge. We um you know I, I spend an equal amount of time on employee engagement as I do on fan engagement. Um, you know we we happen to have one of the hottest teams in the world, and and I, I don't I don't 
um, diminish or dismiss the incredible work that's being done. But when you get to be an elite team like this, um, you're, you're hoping that you've done the groundwork, that you have the right people in place in terms of your digital and social media, that you've invested in content studios, that you have relationships on the basketball and hockey side that give you access, that, that your players, I mean, we, we have our players asking us to help them break into China. And we've got four Chinese nationals working for an organization that, that help deliver and develop content. So in terms of engagement for us, there hasn't been much difference. I mean, we, we kind of press go uh, across all platforms, unique content across all the relevant platforms. And, and we're really fortunate to have incredible media partners, even the, the league ones that obviously ESPN and Turner. Um, and then Comcast is a great local partner. We've got a great radio partner. And then digitally, socially, I think we're one of the leaders in the world. I know some of the, the past of your organization. I, I got to visit once not that long ago. And you all were ahead of the curve incubating sports technology, um, but sometimes technologies that are outside of the realm of sports. Um, can you kind of take me through your thought process of investment in sports and non-sports technologies and where you see that going for your organization? Sure. As I mentioned, when I got to the Sixers, we were a, uh, the, a basketball team as a tenant in the Wells Fargo Center, and we were practicing at a uh, a, a medical college gym, which was only had one court and four baskets that huh. we shared with uh, aspiring doctors. So huh. we, we have, so we had quite a, quite a ways to go. Um, and so as you look forward now where you have a hockey team and a world-class arena and, and two theaters and, you know, a sports marketing firm called Elevate, which is going through the moon and an esports company and, um, a real estate business. I mean, it's, it's pretty incredible. And, and of course our innovation lab and our venture fund. And, um, and the, the impetus behind it was we have these incredible platforms. I think a lot of, of my peers are either thinking, uh, planning or should be thinking and, and or planning about how you leverage these teams, these organizations as platforms to, to do more. Uh, they're good businesses. Um, and I, I love being in the space but you have access to everything. Um, you have access to capital. You have access to the, the who's who in your market because they're in our front row at our game. Um, you have access to deal flow because we have something that a lot of these companies uh, want. And, and it, if we do nothing else, we can help uh, amplify their brand and amplify their business. We also have some incredible technical know-how in terms of marketing, branding, um, digital media, um, um, customer acquisition, et cetera. And, and then you merge that and add on to that, I guess, with your kind of, you know, basic like legal, trademark, financial expertise. And, and you add quite a bit to these companies that have come in. So um, our, our biggest challenge was not should we do it? It was can we find somebody who has the passion for early stage businesses like we do? And we found Seth Berger and Ryan Truitt. And they are two incredible people. Um, Ryan, um, she was a, she was a recent MBA at UCF, um, and an incredibly whip smart go getter and a nice compliment to Seth. Um, he's, uh, he's a founder of, and one of a sneaker company years ago, mm -hmm. uh, sold the company, was coaching the best high school basketball team in the country. West Hampton <laughs> got several guys in the NBA. Um, and, um, and, uh, I've worked with him before. We started a company together way back in our, in our history. So. You know, these two have, are quite the dynamic duo, and, and they're helping businesses 
go from, in some cases, pre-business plans, in, in almost all cases, pre-revenue, to building real businesses. I mean, I, my, my two favorites, Hydrant, which is a um, hydration company, they came in, they were doing $5,000 a month. And it's like a PhD from Oxford at this incredible tech to make sure your, your body gets hydrated. It's a huge space, $20 billion global market. Um, and, and you look, you know, fast forward six months ago, they do a deal with Walmart and they're in Walmart. You're like, wow, well, that was a, that was a quick year. Um, you have this company, U.GG. It's got two incredible exec, young executives, um, Shingo and Allen running it. And, um, and they, they've got 9 million visitors a month coming to their site that yeah. helps people be better gamers at League of Legends. And you're thinking like, this does not have my accident. And, and look, they're wonderful entrepreneurs, um, and executives. Uh, but it's really nice to have a mothership to help out. Uh, but more so having Seth and Ryan help, uh, guide everything from fundraising process to, to rebrands to, to distribution deals to everything in between. So I, I think we've created a, a pretty special, place in the hearts of entrepreneurs who want to get into this space. Have you told the producers of Shark Tank you'd like to replace Mark Cuban anytime soon? <laughs> Wouldn't that be good? <laughs> yeah, you know, I've been really fortunate. I've been in the NBA board meetings now for, boy, almost uh, 18 years, and uh, I've, I've gotten a chance to, to know him and appreciate him. He is a, boy, man, what a what a brilliant human being. And I think... He's a dynamo. Best, he really is. Oh. Yeah. But he's the best at understanding issues to drive PR and driving it of anyone I've ever met. Huh. Like he, he crystallizes positions very quickly on complex issues, distills them down to their base point and knows how to drive action. Um, and he is fun to watch on Shark Tank for sure. Um, all right, let me ask you about the thing in technology and it's the collectible market. And I wonder what your opinion is on this. Um, Top Shot just exploded here and it has a literal mm-hmm. relationship with the NBA itself. You're seeing a lot of, you know, people seeing this happen and they're going out on their own and athletes are going to try to take advantage of it. Entertainers are going to try to take advantage of it. How do you kind of survey the NFT collectible market right now? Well, I'd like to take you up one level just up the blockchain first and then we can talk after. NFTs, um, you know, I think between blockchain and 5G, I think those technologies are going to change the world as we know it. And so I spent quite a bit of time um, looking at both and, um, and investing in both, quite frankly, and, and love, 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 love the blockchain space. Um, NFTs was sort of a, you know, it's it a bit of a public coming out party for, for blockchain. Um, but I, I and, and I and I think that it's just scratching the surface in terms of application. Um, you know, we came out with some NFTs. It's kind of fun um, on the on the devil side very quickly. The first team in the NHL, and we have the in, in the Sixers version coming out. Um, assuming we get through this round, um, which we think will be basketball at a tight uh, to do some really really fun things. Um, I, I think it's it's a bit of a quote unquote novelty right now. Yeah. Um, there's real business being exchanged. Um, and, and when, if you look at what's happening to um, my good friend Adam Aaron, who's running AMC and, and GameStop, you know, they're, they're, the, the young generation, the Gen Zs, um, are, are very smart. Uh, they're very technically, technolo- technologically driven. Um, they're very interested in markets. They understand markets. They understand secondary markets. Um, you know, I mean, my parents were still calling the secondary market scalpers, you know, <laughs> um, 
you know, and, and you look at now, it's a multi-billion dollar business. One, we actually uh, bought into that business in a, in Elevator, a sports marketing company. Uh, so, so I, I you know, I, I think this next generation will change the world. It's going to change the financial markets for sure. Yeah. And I think NFTs provide a really interesting walk, uh, walk, you know, um, you know, you saw like the explosive, like I, I mentioned GameStop and AMC just because of the, the kind of Reddit type impact and influence it had on the market. Yeah. Um, so I, I think it'll normalize, um, but generally, uh, goods of value will always find value. Um, I'm not sure I would pay $56 million for a digital print. Um, but, but, I, but I will say that, you know, like, you know, when I was little, I was flipping, flipping baseball cards, you know? So I think it's, it's the version of that. I, I just, you know, the, the, I'm, I'm much more interested in the, in the tech behind it than I am the actual execution just at this early stage. Yeah. But, um, but I think, you know, n- no surprise the NBA was out front. I mean, they, they always seem to be out front. Adam Silver's one of the great kind of, um, commissioner tech savvy commissioners in the history of sports. Um, um, and I, and I appreciate what he did and how he did it. Um, and uh, I've got a good friend at, at, um, at, uh, working with, with uh, Top Shots now, so I, I get a little bit of a peek behind the curtain, and I think, and then at night you see a whole bunch of companies, including um, one of my partners, get into the space, Michael Rubin, uh, who's in with Candy, um, with Mike Novogratz. So there, there'll be a formidable pair as well. So I, I, you know, look, I think it goes back to my core belief um, that I've been kind of crowing about for the last eight years, and that this business. Um, and by that, I mean the sports business, not necessarily our business, but, but I, I think it, it's inclusive. It's going to come down to like how effectively we drive two core things, data and content. Yeah. And if you, if you are, are creating world-class content and you are world-class at data and data management and nobody, it's not interesting to talk about, it's not going to make any headlines, but you know, your, your data warehouse and your D2C marketing, like that's, that's business now. Um, and we've been putting quite a bit of emphasis on that, but it's going to make you more efficient and, and gives you so many opportunities to drive additional businesses. It's uh, it's kind of, we barely scratched the surface in terms of where we're going to go. Uh, but, but yeah, top shots, it's, it's fun. Uh, it's a good novelty. Uh, several of my friends were early quote unquote investors and, and they made a little pretty penny, which I like. I yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, tell me a little bit about your book, Be Where Your Feet Are. You've kind of referenced it a couple of times. Why did you write it and what is it about? Yeah, so uh, life is messy. So um, this is not a uh, pat yourself on the back, uh, put a crown on and, and take a celebratory lap. This is really about um, a story and a journey from some from me and some from uh, some incredible friends that I know about times where they fell down, uh, tripped, um, got knocked in the head and popped back up. Um, I wrote the book after my best friend, Will Carden took his own life and I was spiraled into a really bad place. And I'm l- looking out as I'm speaking at the funeral and thinking like, man, those five kids he has, they're not going to hear him tell a lesson anymore. So, um, I, I spent time, effort, energy, and resources on helping to develop the next generation of great leaders. That's what I'm really passionate about. And so I'm hoping that this book does two things. One is if you've been fired. If you've run a company to the ground, if you've had issues at home, if you've had issues with your daughters or your sons, if you um, have made mistakes, if you've been embarrassed, I've done all those things. All those things are in the book and I've done them all. 
And so maybe for some people that read it, they'll they'll take this the 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 beating that they're taking at this point. They'll read the book and say, okay, it's okay. I'm going to be okay. The, the eye of the storm that I'm in is going to pass, and I'm going to be fine. And the second piece I hope people get is they get uplifted and they're motivated and they're interested and and they want to be a bet the best version of themselves. After the the incident with your your friend, um, can you share a little bit more about? how you reacted to that? Cause it sounds like that was almost the genesis of a lot of change for you. Yeah. I, I spiraled into some, some form of depression. So I, uh, I had trouble getting up in the morning. I had difficulty falling asleep at night. I burst into tears a couple of times in the middle of the meetings when somebody would say something unrelated and some emotion would just overtake me. And I was struggling and, and started, I began to write to heal. And so, um, so anyone that's ever been in in the hole or in the tank, um, it's okay. Yeah. You know, you got to, you know, two things is like, one is you have to raise your hand if you're struggling. And, and secondly, is if you're not struggling and if you're doing great and if your glass is full, man, be aware, reach out. Like you, you get on these Zoom calls and there'll be, you know, uh, one, of, one of your colleagues, she'll, she'll have her video off for a week in a row. Like there might be something going on. Yeah. Her, her voicemail box might be full. That's okay. Like, she might not be responding to text. You know, something's up. Like, so when your glass is full, reach out. When your glass is empty, raise your hand. Um, and I, I think, um, you know, I learned a ton about myself. I learned a ton about life. I've, I've learned a ton about mental health and wellness and, and, and stuff that, that ironically served me really well in COVID as I, I had a lot of the coping tools and was able to, to reach out to a lot of friends and, and put resources into an organization that puts the mental health and wellness of its employees above all else. Yeah. And it, it's serious. It's clearly been a priority too, um, for leagues. I, we're, we're seeing this around the leagues as well to help teams, help players, help organizations kind of navigate all of this. And I, I think it's been high time that it's been prioritized. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, how this goes with, with sports. Um, often people look at the participants in it, and don't see them almost as human, almost robotic, as if they're living a charmed life, whether you're the athlete or, or in your case, um, a CEO of a major organization that has, you know, major sports properties, that feelings wouldn't be involved somehow. And uh, it's, it's, I think it's great that you're writing about it and speaking about it. Yeah, thank you. I, I um, you know, I, I use an expression sometimes at work that, that may, may come across as condescending, but it's not intended to be. But, and I use this expression, like, they're just kids when talking about players, which isn't really fair because they're men. Um, and, and some of them are, are men that are in their, um, you know, latter stages of their twenties, early thirties. Um, but when they come into this league, they're very young men and they're 19 years old and 20 years old. And, and I, I, I always think about like, are you equipped? Are you equipped to read 10,000 mentions um, after a bad game about how awful of a human being you are? Yeah. On Twitter, I don't think anybody's equipped for that. Yep. To be honest with you, certainly not a 21 year old young man. Yep. And um, and so yeah, we, we need to be better and do better and provide resources. And you've got to put your phone down and get your head up. Like, you got to be where your feet are. You have to like live life. Get your head up. Ask questions. Be part of the world you're in. Um, and um, and I've I've, I've tools and tips throughout the book just in terms of what that looks like at home and in my office. Like when you come in, we have a conference room. You, you check your phone at the door. And you ask, like, is that good or bad? I don't know. If you're 22, you're like, I think the old man's lost his mind, meaning me. <laughs> and if, uh, and after a couple of meetings, though, when they're when people are asking, how was your weekend? Or, hey, 
what's going on or, Hey, how was your vacation? Or, uh, whatever the questions are, you start to realize like we've got to engage people, you know, and we've got to, um, you know, it's like the whole world's become an elevator. You know, when I was younger, I'd be in the elevator, nobody would talk. And I always thought it was funny. And now you go, you go to dinner with your friends and you look around and everybody has their phone. That's right. and you're like, I haven't seen you in 10 months and <laughs> five of us are on our phone. This is insane. And so I think we can, we can do a better job. I think we can be more effective at doing it. And I think we have to hold each other accountable. Scott O'Neill is the chief executive officer of Harris Blitzer Sports and Entertainment. And he wrote the book, Be Where Your Feet Are. Thank you so much for joining us, Scott. I appreciate you, Bram. Keep doing your thing. On the next Future Sport Podcast, we'll check in with a Philly neighbor, Jenna Carath who is helping Comcast build a sports tech incubator. We do make a $50,000 capital investment in exchange for an equity position. So their success is our success. We have shared skin in the game. So I think that holds us accountable, but at the end of the day, we're choosing startups that are gonna have a strategic impact to our business. That will do it for this episode. As always, the future is now. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein.